Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Hey friends, it's Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, author, and mom of four. We are back with part two. We have Brian Haynes back with us. Brian serves as the lead pastor at Bay Area Church and Bay Area Christian School in the Houston area. He's a pastor, a preacher, a ministry leader. He is author of War in the Wilderness, Fight for Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. And last week, we took a look at three deserts as a biblical metaphor for life. Brian, welcome back to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. Thank you. So you walked us through Midbar, Sia, and Yashimon. How did I do on pronouncing You're that? You're great. <laughs> okay, I was listening. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this from what is it like to live this out? And this book was born in the shadow of COVID-19 and a myriad of other tragedies and heartbreak. And I want to read to you, Pastor Brian, your dedication. You said, Thank you to the faithful and brave women I call wife and daughters. There is not a person in my family who hesitates to share our story for the glory of God and the good of people. Write it down, they said. That is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. They are. Um, they know what it means to walk through the wilderness and to experience the goodness of God in that. And uh, it's a privilege to get to share our story. It's not really my story as much as it is ours. So, well, it's like I said, it's easy to talk about these things through a spiritual lens, but you have been through a lot. Your family's been through a lot. You've suffered devastation and loss, and you've been very open about this. You said in your book, on a very personal note, my family experienced the depths of the world's brokenness and the peak of any spiritual battle we have faced together. We found help, healing, and hope when it felt like we were bleeding out. We have scars, but we are whole and we have hope. So, Brian, what is your family's story? What did you experience? Mm. Well, it is a kind of a long story um, that culminates in our oldest daughter going to college. And uh, she went to college, made that transition in life. And one night, Angela and I were sitting on the couch in our home in Houston, and she called. And she called from her truck at like 12.30 in the morning in a park, just sitting there, and she was bawling her oh. eyes out. And it was one of those moments, like, you don't want it. You don't want it for you. You don't want it for anybody else. But it was, it was a moment where our oldest daughter was saying to us, I need help. And she just confessed like these deep levels of depression and anxiety, which looking back, we had seen that, you know, episodes of that um, in her teenage years, but we had no grid for the why behind that depression or, or, or anxiety, the levels to which it was at, because we didn't understand at that moment, what had gone on in her uh, life. And so I called a counselor friend that, that wasn't far away from where she's attending university and um, 
ask my daughter to go meet with that counselor. And that counselor met with her a couple of times and called me and said, um, has your daughter ever been sexually assaulted? And I was like, no way. Angela and I, we racked our brains. Like, no way, that that's never happened. I mean, we were the the family that did not allow like spend the night stuff because we work with a lot of people and we've heard a lot of stories. And uh, we've felt very careful about all that. But the counselor went on to say like, this is pretty textbook, like what we're seeing. And, and I agreed with her. I, I thought about it from mm -hmm. her perspective. And I was like, she's right, it is textbook. And so they applied uh, a technique called EMDR and uh, pulled from our daughter a specific time, place, person. And I could put that person in my house um, at that time. I just knew that there was legitimacy completely to this. And it was wrecking. It was wrecking for her to understand the depths of it. She had blocked a lot of it. She had, One of the things that started happening to her when she transitioned to college is she started having dreams almost like flashbacks that were reminding her. Uh, I don't understand completely how our minds work, but we block things and then they come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's exactly what was happening to her. And so it began this journey that we had actually been on for a number of years and we didn't completely understand. Now we had clarity and now we were fighting a big, ugly monster that's called sexual assault or sexual abuse. And the wounds that it causes to the person who's been sexually assaulted and the wounds that it cause everyone else in the family because of how that person is dealing or coping. And then usually, I wish it weren't this way, but usually that takes place in a relationship that's in close proximity to your family or to, to the person. And that's what happened. And so then we ha had this relationship to deal with and the legal and all of the things that come with it. And it, it, I have no words to describe that moment of understanding and clarity in the beginning, except for to say like, if Angela and I had ever been on the mountaintop celebrating God's God's favor and our family. Now we were in the fetal position in the corner, just like weeping because we really did not know what to do or how to take next steps. And then the journey over the next few years was just arduous. It was like you are always climbing uphill and there was not much shade. There was not much water. Um, and so we learned a lot. We learned a lot about who we are, about who God is, about who community is in our, our lives and what we need needed in those moments. That's part of the reason why I wrote the book is because I do feel like that families find themselves in situations where they just don't know what to do. They don't even know how to communicate what they're going through to, to a person. And, um, and that's where we were. And that's the gist of our story. It was definitely catalytic um, for all of us in, num in a number of ways. And I'm really grateful to say we have found so much health um, and 
so much hope. Um, mm. But the one that was 18 when this busted loose is is almost 24 now. You wow. know, it's just like, uh, it's been a journey. So, Well, you said that you had no words to describe that, but I think you do. Your word is Yashimon. Mm -hmm. That's what you experienced in the depths of just despair. And as I hear you telling your story, I'm thinking of the people who are listening, who are at various points in the journey. Mm -hmm. People who will say, I'm at the beginning. We know something's wrong, but we don't know what it is. Or those who are in the fetal position who know and have clarity, but don't yet have hope. And those who have hope. And I think one of the hardest things is that in the midst of all of this, it wasn't like the rest of your life was easy. You yeah. were experiencing great tragedy on a personal level. Can you share with us the challenges that led to your own mental health struggle? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this has so many layers, it seems, that season of life. But uh, in 2017, prior to uh, prior to all this this coming out, uh, our entire region experienced a devastating hurricane called Hurricane Harvey. And we still live before Harvey and after Harvey. I mean, it just changed everything. It was like a nuclear bomb went off in our city. And um, pastors became frontline um, people for triage, not only like physically from the standpoint of just like, how do you get help with your house to raising money to help people who have no money to fix their house, who didn't have insurance, whatever. And then support shelters, medical clinics, forming 501c3s to further the efforts. And then just listening to the all of the emotional trauma that came out of that. Uh, there was death. There was um, just complete loss for people. And so I just was a part of all that for a long time. It wasn't like the storm happened and ended and and then that stopped. It changed the trajectory of our lives for months. And um, and so that was one thing. I mean, it was it was stressful, very stressful as a person and also as a pastor. And then um, not long after that, we had a tragic um, mass shooting at Santa Fe High School, yeah. south of our church. And while I thought I wouldn't be directly involved with that, I, I came to be involved um, in a more direct way than I thought I would with a family who lost uh, their mom, who was a teacher mm. at the school. And just the calamity of that and then then like listening to other police officers who had been in there and seen the things that they saw and then the dealing with politicians as they showed up for funerals and not that I'm against politicians, but it was just like a, <laughs> another level of, uh, of difficulty, honestly. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just was a lot. It was a whole lot. And that's, and then you have the normal like church family, all the, all the stuff. And so I, we made it through that. And um, it was it was stressful for sure. But then, uh, but then Yashimon came, you know, yeah. all that I, I think is, yeah, for us, us, my family, but Yashimon was understanding that a friend had hurt my daughter. 
And now I, the story from my perspective, this is not from my wife or from my daughters or any of, they would all have their own stories. But for me, that was really difficult um, because this is a, a personal friend, a brother, I would have called him. Um, and I had to navigate uh, how I would confront that, um, then the confrontation, and then the aftermath of all that, um, which I'm not a person that I, I needed to eyeball that person face to face. And so I'm also a pastor and I wanted to approach that pastorally, not um, vengefully, but it, it's a tight walk, you know, rope walk to be a parent and a pastor in that situation. And so he did, and uh, and it was hard. And when I left his house, I felt something inside of me like break. I, I knew that like something was not good with me. And so um, I often, if I'm really honest, I often tell people I found that there was a part of my heart that was so dark that I didn't know I had. It was murderous. And if you... If you've been through this with one of your kids, you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. So just uh, coping with that was very, very difficult. And I kept trying to do my community church job, which was very hard to deal with everybody else's problems while you're dealing with your own. And so I went to one of our elders and told him the whole story. I was like, I, I got to tap out. And uh, they gave me a sabbatical, which I'm really grateful for. And in that time, I worked with uh, a myriad of people to help me, uh, the guy who's always helping everybody else. Mm. And uh, that was humbling, uh, but also so healthy. And it changed me. I mean, the, the Lord, in fact, used what the enemy, Satan, meant for evil in my life and in our family's life uh, for good. And I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'd want to go through it. Someone recently told me, hey, congratulations on the book. And I was like, I don't feel like congratulations is the right word. None of these lessons did I want to learn. But looking back, I'm really glad to know what I know now. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm sure as people are listening, they're like me with tears in our eyes because that is so terrible and nothing we would ever want anybody to go through but to hear you talk about it in such an authentic way and to acknowledge the reality of your pain but still say that god is good and that you still found hope in all of that is something that i think is going to leave people wondering and one of the things I appreciate is that you're very real about mental health, and you even talk in your book, and I've heard you speak before about being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. and the complex overlay that this wasn't something that was just solely fixed from a spiritual lens or solely fixed from a mental health lens. You had to be treated as a holistic person and take care of all of those planes of your life. So how did you do that? Yeah, I I call it building a tribe. So I had a really good doctor. I had a really good counselor, a therapist. Um, I had really good, um, two really good men in my life that 
we're not trained for any of this, but we're just um, brothers. I had um, a friend, a very good friend, who had who who was a CrossFit coach who said, "Hey, let me let me address the physicality part of this with you." And so, so looking back on it, I think it was it was just building a tribe to say, "Hey, let's take care of you mentally and emotionally." Let's take care of you physically in a number of ways. In fact, it's my um, my physician that said you're competitive. You need to do something on a regular basis that's that's physical. Um, it will help your mental health more than you you know. And so, and I had other pastors in my life. So there are two men that are that are pastors in my life older than me. One of them has known me since I was 15 years old, and I just called him weeping and he kept just speaking into my life on a regular basis and another uh another one as well they shepherded me they really helped me find my way through that yashimon and lead my family through that that difficult season of life and um and and practically you know when i say that out loud what, what comes to mind is that there were times my wife actually was more healthy in it than mm. i was and then there were times where i was healthier but it it was it was like we just all worked together and uh i'm really grateful for that i look back at those people that that stuck with me in that i didn't blast this whole story to to the whole world at that moment but I did uh, did tell a select few with what I would call a, a certain set of skills. Like I wanted people who understood how my brain works, who knows what's going on in my body, who um, can help me know how to um, move forward. And the, especially in the, the realm of um, counseling, I think it was really important for me to have a mental health professional and I don't know if you know this, but like in pastoral world, that's like, oh no, we Taboo. got this. We can just pray. And um, and what I found is I needed both. I needed the scriptures. I needed the Psalms. I needed I needed all those pictures of God in the Old Testament that are desert pictures. You know, He's when you're in the desert, He's shade. When you're in the desert, He's living water. When you're in the desert, He's refuge. I needed all that, but I also needed someone to say. Hey, here are your triggers, mm -hmm. and uh, here's what you do when you feel that, and here are rhythms that you need to create in your life, and you know, a lot of other things too. So um, I'm really grateful, and I would say to people like, don't hesitate to ask for help, mm. um, because I think people wait. And uh, one thing I don't regret is waving the the flag and saying, hey, I, I need some help here. That is so encouraging to hear. And I think it's important to hear the transparency of your journey that you needed a tribe, you needed a source of encouragement and practical skills that were all around you. And it wasn't easy. This wasn't something that was no. fixed overnight or that you had, you know, a miraculous cure for and it was fine. It's you're talking about, you know, a years, even decades long journey to even find out what was going on. How has this changed your heart as a dad? How has it changed your relationship with your daughters? Mm. I think I am um, more 
appreciative of one-on-one time with them, with appreciative of heart connection, appreciative of real conversation. I mean, they're basically adults now. They're 16, 20, and 23. Um, it's made me more understanding. Um, they would say I've mellowed out uh, through really? the years, probably. Um, but I, I think it just also creates with our entire family, we have, we have wounds for sure mm-hmm. from all of this. And we wounded each other even in the process. Like the family dynamic, when you get under that kind of stress, even it, wounded people wound people. Mm-hmm. And then the more people are wounded in your family dynamic, the, the more difficult it becomes. And every personality is different and all, all those kinds of things. But when we look back at it, definitely we have wounds. But we've learned what it means to experience forgiveness and offer forgiveness. We've learned to, every person needs this gift to be fully known and loved by another human. I mean, that to be known, everything about you, how you cope with difficulty, how you medicate, how you think, the darkest parts of your heart, to be fully known and to be loved anyway. It creates, uh, it helps you know how God loves you, but it, it creates this dynamic that we look back on. And, um, and while I would never want to go through this again, I would never choose it for me or us or anyone else. We did learn um, deep things of God and deep things about ourselves and it created quite the quite the bond um it's kind of like the old you know maybe it's an old adage when you, you go to war with somebody um your friends for life you know it's that kind of deal it's like we've been through something that has shaped us and we we get it each other we get each other because of it um i personally also have learned to value prioritizing what matters most um, in life. Because as a driven individual, um, I never, there's never enough time in the day. And so prioritizing my relationship, like today, I, I text the ones that are away this morning, I love you, I'm praying for you, I pray these things for you today. Prioritizing that, in the first part of the day is a really, really big deal. And I, I'm I'm not saying I was a bad father or something like that before then, but it's there's just a a level of like, I really want them to know my heart for them, to know God, who he is in the wilderness. And they do, in fact. Um, but it's it's changed all of us. Well, I think in what you're saying, the hope that you found in your family. That's what you want to share with other families through your book. What kind of hope do you want families who are reading your book, who are in Midbar or uh, Sia or Yashimon, what do you want them to find? Mm-hmm. I got a message the other day from someone, and, and the message was, is it possible to drown in the desert where there is no water? Because that's what we feel like. We feel like we're drowning in the desert, which I completely identify with. 
And uh, people do. And what I want people to know, this is, so they're probably not going to be this like Black Hawk helicopter extraction moment that's going to get you out of the wilderness. You're probably going to walk out. It takes time. But what I want people to know simply is that our God is a God who is with us in the wilderness. So he, he gives his son a name, Emmanuel, God with us. He calls his son a shepherd. He says he's the good shepherd. He says he knows the way through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, I know where I've been now through that valley. He knows the way, Jesus knows the way because he's been through that valley. I want people to know like, okay, you may, you may not have relief in the first month or even the first six months, but if you will fix your eyes on Jesus, absorb the truths of scripture and build a tribe of people around you who have a skill set and care about you. A year down the road, it's gonna feel different. Two years down the road, you're gonna feel relief. Three years down the road, you're gonna have hope. But if you get stuck, if you get stuck in Yashimon and you think to yourself, we'll never get out of here. And you start believing that lie that you'll never get out of there. You, you might not. And you have to believe the truth. You know, the truth is that, um, yes, we live in a wilderness, but Jesus, he's living water. I, I remind people of this moment in my life all the time. In the middle of that, I went outside. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I laid down on my driveway. It was still hot, the, the concrete, because Houston is blazing mm -hmm. in the summer. And I looked up at the sky and I was crying out to God. Like, why? Why would you, why would you let this happen? All, all those kinds of, uh, of questions. And uh, there's this waterfall in my mind that's in Engedi in, in Israel in the Judean wilderness. And I go there and teach and I, I look at this waterfall and I get in the waterfall and I'm, I, this is living water, living. I've taught that lesson a million times. And I'm laying on that hot driveway, looking up at the stars. And I, from the inside out, maybe, I just, I just felt my Chaim. He's living water. He's living water. You're just crying out for living water. Just drink, just come to him and drink. And really truthfully, uh, you'd probably expect a pastor to say that, but I'm telling, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to you from the perspective of one who walked through the bad places and did not think he would make it out. That Jesus is the only way. <laughs> and he uses the common graces of medicine and therapy and um, CrossFit trainers yeah. and all kinds of stuff to help you make it through. Um, but but he's the one you need to follow. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I mean, that is just so hope inspiring. And I keep thinking of the scripture you quoted that what man intended for evil, God intended for good, for your good and for his glory. Mm. And on behalf of everyone listening, I just want to thank you for the courage that you've had in sharing your story in such a relatable and authentic way that gives us hope. And I know 
that at this moment, there will be people who will see this as their watershed moment. Mm. At the moment that they want to do something different, that they recognize where they are and that they are going to cry out for living water. And God will be faithful to provide that. I don't know how we follow this up, Brian, but the last question we ask everybody out of all of the beautiful things you had to say and all of the wonderful advice, if you could just say one thing, give one piece of advice to parents who are looking for hope and building healthy relationships. Maybe they are in Yashimon and they're thinking, I don't see any hope. What advice would you give them? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say it's, it's simple. Don't, don't give up. And this is a relentless endeavor. And, and sometimes you're dealing with things that you don't quite understand yet. Maybe behaviors, maybe emotions, maybe all of those kind of addictions. Could be a lot of things coming out in your your child, your teenager that you don't completely understand yet. And I would just say, don't don't give up. Uh, so don't give up on the heart connection with them. Pursue that heart connection. Lean into it, even when it's painful. Don't give up when you recognize things are going wrong, things are going bad, things don't seem healthy. And don't give up from the standpoint of thinking there's no one here to help uh, because there certainly are in every community people who will help, people who just want to, to surround you and hold you up, and then other people with certain specific skills that can help you walk through aspects of whatever the Yashimon is in, in, in your life. And um, I think one of the lies we believe is we're all alone. Mm-hmm. And so we won't survive. And the, the reality is we're not alone. Uh, you can reach, and, and and maybe that's that's your last you know ditch effort is I'm going to reach to somebody. That that's not giving up. Reaching is not giving up. And so I would just say d- don't give up, uh, and don't give up on God. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people think because they have bad circumstances in their life that God must be bad or he must be uh, non-existent. And and the opposite is true. In fact, what he says to us in all of scripture is that um, you're going to go through hard things because of of the world and how it is, but I won't leave you. And that's what I found to be true. Don't give up. Well, the book is called War in the Wilderness, Fight for Your Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. Brian, where can we get it and where can we hear more of your teaching? Sure. You can always get it at Amazon. Our publisher, Randall House, has a special website for it called warinthewilderness.com or really anywhere you, you purchase books. Well, that is great. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing and for giving us hope as families are fighting in the wilderness. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was a beautiful story of healing and redemption, but it may have been really hard to hear. It's time for Conversation Keys, where we explore health impacts and home strategies for relationship building. Now, friends, this is a tender place, and I want to tread gently here. Experiencing abuse as a child is traumatic and devastating. If you've experienced abuse and never talked to anyone about your experience or sought healing in a meaningful way, I encourage you to reach out to someone you trust to take those first steps toward your own healing journey, just as Pastor Brian shared with us his own healing journey. If your family is walking through what he described as Sia or Yeshimon, 
It often can be a place engulfed with shame and loneliness, but you are not alone. There are so many families who experience trials behind closed doors, and God never leaves you alone. We bring our own generational trauma into parenting that gives us significant insecurities. That was my own story as well. But the truth is that healthy relationship building takes a significant and intentional investment of time and energy that pays off to the level of impacting the DNA of generations to come. In 1997, researchers Vincent Felitti and Robert Anda from Kaiser Permanente Health published a landmark study on adverse childhood experiences, we call them ACEs, which connected childhood trauma to adult health outcomes. ACEs included abuse, neglect, mental illness, incarcerated relatives, divorce, violence, life-threatening injuries or accidents, loss of separation from a parent or loved one, natural disasters, wars, terrorist attacks, discrimination, refugee status, or extreme poverty. Now, That is a sobering list as we consider the current social landscape for our families. But when we experience trauma, like one of these, it activates our stress response system. Imagine you're in the woods and you see a bear. Your heart races and your adrenaline surges as you get ready to fight or run away from that bear, which is great if you're in the woods and there is a bear. But for teens with adverse childhood experiences, they take the bear home with them. It pops out at any time and activates their stress response. Some stressors you can control, some you absolutely cannot. Your teen will encounter stress, but stress can be positive in small amounts. Tolerable stress is facing serious events when you are buffered by supportive relationships. Imagine a faucet turning on in your teen's brain, igniting a chemical reaction and bathing your teen's brain in stress hormones. You can turn that faucet off simply by giving support and walking alongside them. Toxic stress happens when that stress response is activated, that faucet is turned on repeatedly and continuously without a support system. So this causes physical changes from constantly surging epinephrine, cortisol, and other dysregulated hormone and organ systems. It damages your blood vessels and it damages your neurological regulation. The ACE study discovered adults with a score over four had a greater risk of suicide attempt by 17 times, nine times greater risk of substance abuse, five times greater risk of alcohol abuse, three times greater risk of depression, and two times greater risk of heart disease. In fact, nine of the 10 leading causes of death are correlated to high ACE scores. You can actually take a short quiz online to consider your own ACE score. The bottom line is that childhood trauma and stress are more likely to put you at risk for physical illness as an adult and early death. Very simply speaking, stress and trauma. Okay, listen closely here. 
Stress and trauma cause DNA changes that we pass on to future generations. Whoa. Now, before you get too distressed, the opposite is true. Guess what is the best protective factor to avoid a toxic stress response? It's the presence of a supportive adult in a child's life. And guess what? That person can be you. Taking steps toward healing can leave a generational legacy in the way our DNA is read and transcribed. You may not be able to guide your family out of whatever desert you're experiencing right now, but you can't overestimate how important your supportive presence in the journey means to your family. Here's your conversation keys. Four questions to ask if you are going through something that is hard right now. First question, how are you feeling about what's going on? How are you feeling? Number two, how is this impacting you personally? Number three, how can I support you and help you feel safe in this situation? And number four, what do you think you can do to be a positive influence or positively impact this situation. Try it out and let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.